Let's bow our heads and just have a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, uh, make our hearts receptive to hear your word. And may the words that I speak, may the meditations of our minds and hearts be pleasing to you. Speak to me and to each person here. The word we need to hear from you for this day and for the living of these days. For we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, Jesus came into the world with one primary purpose. And that was to bring us the good news that God loves us. That's it. Primary reason he came was to bring good news about God. That's what the scripture says. To bring us good news about God. God's love for each of us and all of us. Now we're all different. We all come from different places. Different spaces. We all come with our own story. Our own experience. You know, it's... You come to church sometimes, you look around, and it is an erroneous assumption to think that as you look around, hey, everybody in here is happy and healthy, and everything's just going great in their lives. But I, I guess I'm the only one here that has some fear and some tears and some uncertainty and some anxiety some pain some problems no beneath the respectable exterior of most of our lives all of us have some storms inside there may be little ones there may be large ones there may be times when the water seems very smooth, but if you've not had that feeling of uncertainty or fear or anxiety, and if you don't have it today, that's wonderful. But in all probability, you have had it. And in all probability, you will have it. We all will uh, in the future. Uh, we're, we're all... We're all like an iceberg. Only about one-tenth above, above the surface shows. Nine-tenths down underneath the surface. It's where, uh, where we want God to speak to us today, any day, every day. Read a classified ad. Short one, but full of meaning. Here it is. For sale. Hope chest. Brand new. Half price. Long story. For sale. Hope chest. Brand new. Half price. Long story. We've all got a long story, don't we? All of us do. 
Now, there are parts of that story in your life and in mine that you and I need to talk to God about and, and listen to me carefully and to talk only to God about. There's some things that we don't talk and don't need to talk to anyone else about but God. Contrary to the current practice in American society today, we do have a right to privacy. And we need to protect that right for ourselves and for others. There's some things that we need to talk only to God about. But there are some things that we need help with from other people. That's why we have a Christian counseling ministry in this church. And why we're fortunate in this city to have some, and here are the characteristics. Competent, competent, compassionate, confidential, counselors. Not just somebody that seems to be nice and friendly, but someone who is competent to help deal with problems. Someone who is compassionate and someone who is confidential. Those are the ingredients necessary in talking to somebody else about that nine-tenths of us that's down underneath the surface. We need people with those characteristics because they can help us understand ourselves and help us understand our situation. Don't you like that word understand? Somebody that will stand under you to help lift you up? Underneath are the everlasting arms of God. But do you know whose arms he often uses? He often uses competent, compassionate, confidential counselors who will be sources who lift you up. Not people above you looking down. Not someone beside you pointing a finger in accusation. But someone underneath you to lift you up. Isn't it wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if every single Christian was an understanding person. Standing under, standing under other people when they're in trouble. Standing under one another when they're about to go down. Standing under one another when they're frail and about to fall. To stand under one another. The church ought to be the most understanding place in all of our society. Unfortunately, it's not always that way. But it can be and may it increasingly be in the life of this church because I believe that's been a pattern in the life of this church. But it can always be improved and deepened and expanded. I want to talk briefly for about, <coughs> excuse me, about three people who are about as different as any three people you're going to find anywhere in life. In the Bible. Anywhere. Three people that are very different. 
Externally, very different. Internally, the same. You know, because if you and I scratch just a little bit bit beneath the surface, we're all alike. Just a little bit beneath the surface, we're all brothers and sisters. Now here are three people who externally are as varied as they can be. Different. Some of them didn't even know each other. None of them met each other. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the uh, fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And if you want to use the Bible in the, in the book rack there in front of you, I want you to turn to page 994. 994. And you're going to see there the fifth chapter of Mark. And here is the story. It's a story about a man who was... The scripture says demon possessed. Now, I don't understand a whole lot about demon possession. I don't know that anyone does. I do know that there is an evil power in the world. There's no question about that. There is evil in the world. And I believe there is an instigator of evil, and that is Satan himself. I do believe in a personal devil. I don't believe it's just a principle. I do believe there is a personal devil. One reason I believe that is because I've done business with him. And I know, but I don't know, understand demon possession. I can understand demonic influence, maybe a little better, satanic influence, evil influence. And I know that in Jesus' day, anybody who was a little off center was considered demon possessed when they may just have had an emotional illness of some kind. They may, may have been in a deep depression that today could be cured medically. But they categorized everybody that was a little off-center as being demon-possessed. Like they accused anybody of being sick or having blindness or being crippled as the result of some sin in their life and as a result of God's punishment upon them because of their sin. That, that was their interpretation of it. But Jesus knew, and, and whatever it was in this guy's life that made him just incorrigible and unmanageable, we don't know the source, but we do know the cure. And you see it here in the fifth chapter of Mark. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. They'd been in a big storm on the sea. And then they got over there and landed in Gadara, which is on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there. I've been there. And uh, in that part of uh, Israel. And they ran into a man who had a bigger storm inside of him than the storm they just passed through out on the Sea of Galilee. He went across the lake and here was a man with an evil spirit, came out of the tombs. He was living in the tomb. He was living in caves where they buried people. And uh, they couldn't do a thing with him. You can see there it says they couldn't bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to sub- subdue him. And day and night among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Look at this pitiful picture. Poor guy. They'd put him in a straight jacket and he'd break it. They'd put him in chains and he'd break it. And he was out there just destroying himself, cutting himself, tearing himself apart. Jesus said, what's your name? What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. My name is Legion. I am many people. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. 
There's so many folks in me, so many voices I'm hearing inside of me. I have no idea who I am. And he begged Jesus again and again. He said, he said just, why, why have you come? Why, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of God? Don't hurt me. Don't torture me. Isn't it strange? Here's this guy living out there in the tombs. Can't even get along with anybody at home. Can't get along with anybody in his family or community. He's cutting himself with stones. He's destroying himself. And Jesus shows up and he accuses Jesus of coming to torture him. <laughs> He's already destroying himself. And Jesus said, he's going to cast the evil spirit out of it. I want to cast the evil spirit out of it. That's when he said, my name is Legion. And then Jesus performed this strange miracle. Uh, he said, this fellow didn't want, he didn't want to be well. He, he, he was so frustrated. He didn't know what he wanted. He didn't even know what his name was. The demons begged Jesus. Send us among the pigs. There are a bunch of pigs grazing out there on the hillside. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out of him and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, I don't know how to explain that. There's a lot in the Bible I don't know how to explain. But I, I do believe this. I do believe that in all probability, Jesus was employing what psychiatric medicine today, Dr. Walker could tell us more about this, teach me a lot more about it, what's called transference. Where you take a problem you've got or situation you have and you project it onto somebody else. Maybe that was the technique employed by Jesus because he knew more about the mind of man than any doctor, psychiatrist, or diagnostician has ever known because he created it. And so here he has these 2,000 pigs rung down into the sea and were drowned. And Jesus was saying, there goes your problem. It's been buried in the depths of the sea. It's called transference. He said, oh, Bugner, that sounds a little weird to me. Well, let me put it in this category. Every time you look at the cross, what do you see? You see where he took all of your sin and all of your stuff and all of your evil and all of that nine-tenths of you that you may not even know about and he put it there on that cross and he died for our sins, known and unknown, confessed and unconfessed. He put all of our sins in Christ on that cross as a symbol of saying, your sins are gone. And like those pigs, they are buried in the depths of the sea and you will be separated from them and they will bother you no more. No more. Well, suddenly this guy was healed. The people who'd been watching the pigs, the caretakers of the pigs ran into town, told them what would happen. And they all came out, and there this guy sat there. He was sitting there, sitting, which is something he hadn't been able to do. He was just so frantic and frenetic. He couldn't be still. He's always moving. He was sitting. He was dressed. He was clothed. And in his right mind. They couldn't believe it. Look at this guy. 
Now, what would you have expected the community to do? I mean, here is a man who has just taken a patient out of the psychiatric ward of a tomb and made him a whole person, a new person, a healthy person, a happy person, a composed person. What would the community do? Oh man, come into town. We need you. No, sir. You, you can read the story. They told Jesus to hit the road. Get out of here. And so he left. They told him to leave. Can you imagine? This guy was not only personally sick, he lived in a sick community. He lived in a disturbed community. Any community that prefers pigs over people needs help. That's what they did. They'd rather have pigs than healthy men and women. Well, I know. Excuse me. I know it's just hard to believe that uh, anybody, any culture, any society would put property and profits ahead of people. Nobody would do that. No civilized society would do that. No Christianized society would put profits and property ahead of people, would they? No, no. No one would put the profits of the tobacco industry ahead of the health and welfare and life of millions of people. Nobody would put profits ahead of people, would they? Nobody would put profits ahead of health care for every single citizen of the wealthiest country on the face of the earth. Nobody would put profits ahead of people denying many children insurance in this affluent society. No civilized, Christianized society would do such a stupid thing as that, would they? Read the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This guy wanted to leave. I don't blame him. He wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to get away from those crazy people. They thought he was crazy. They were the ones that were now needing help. He wanted to, as far as I know from reading the scripture, which I've done for a lot of years, I believe this is the only time that Jesus ever told somebody not to follow him. This fellow wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I tell you what, that town needs you. And so he said, I want you to go back into that community that puts profits and property ahead of people that would rather have pigs than healthy men and women. I want you to go back in there and tell them what things I have done for you. Jesus got into the boat and the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And I want you to do in your Bible what I've done in mine. And that's put a red circle around that little word mercy because it's not little in meaning. It's little in, 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 in size. It is huge in meaning. Have mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. That means the 10 cities 
Went to, went to ten different cities. He became an evangelist. The first missionary in the New Testament was a former demon-possessed man in Gadara that Jesus sent to ten cities to preach the gospel. Go home, start with your family. Turn your Christianity into your home life to begin with and then take it to everybody else and go to the ten cities of the Decapolis and tell them how much Jesus has done for you. And all the people were amazed. Mercy. When he received mercy, he suddenly had a mission. Please let that stick. Once you've received mercy, you then have a mission. Meet man number two. You know him well. We've all heard about him. His name is David, powerful king. He never knew the Gadarene demoniac, and the Gadarene demoniac never knew David. But they have the same story. One was living like a crazy man on the beach, and the other one was sitting on the throne as a powerful king of Israel. And you know his story. His horrible, detestable, egregious sin with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And when he got her pregnant, he had Uriah killed. Adultery bad enough, and he added murder to it. Detestable beyond words. And God confronted him through the prophet Nathan who said, you're the man, you're the man. And David pronounced those six words that will open the door to salvation for anybody. I have sinned against the Lord. Six words. I have sinned against the Lord. Didn't blame his glands, didn't blame Bathsheba, didn't blame anybody else. I did it. I did it. And it was a sin. And then he wrote Psalm 51. Now, if you have that Bible still in your hand, turn to page uh, 562, and you'll come to Psalm 51. Listen to this word. What I say underline a moment ago, the word mercy. Listen. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, put a circle around that too. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I cannot cleanse myself. Cleanse me, O Lord. Wash away my iniquity, I cannot wash it away. Wash it away. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now move to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Listen to that. Release me, wash me, blot out, create in me, restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then because of mercy, then because of love, then because of grace, then because of forgiveness, then I will teach 
transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Mercy, love, grace always produces mission. Mission. Now I will be a witness. Now I will help turn transgressors toward you. Now I will help sinners turn back to you. Mercy, love, and grace equals mission and ministry for everybody. Sick man, crazy guy in Gadara on the beach, living in a tomb, wealthy potentate living in a palace and sitting on a throne. Both receive mercy and are suddenly missionaries to tell others. Now let me come to the third man that you're very familiar with. Uh, turn to page number uh, 1174 in the Bible that you have in your hand. 1174. It's First Timothy, if you have your own Bible. Paul's first letter to his young disciple, Timothy. The 12th verse. Now, you need to understand about Paul. That's who we're talking about here, of course. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about an ultra-religious fanatic. We're talking about a first century founding member of the religious right. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm saved, you're lost. I'm a saint, you're a sinner. You agree with me? or I destroy you. That was his philosophy. And he, he confesses that. And I want to show it to you. You'll see it very clearly. 12th verse. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now listen to why he was appointed to his service. Now I want you to... Let me interrupt for just a moment. I want you to notice that in this passage we read, you're going to read the word mercy twice. You're going to read the word grace. You're going to read the word faith. You're going to read the word love. Mercy, grace, faith, and love. Now, there are three primary colors to the artist, but there are four primary colors to God, and that is grace, mercy, love, and faith. Those are the primary qualities of God and what he gives to us through his mercy, through his grace, through his love, and through our faith that is also a gift. Okay. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Now we read that and we just kind of move on. We read it on the page here and it doesn't jump off of the page and grab us by the spiritual throat. But let me take each one of those words very quickly. Blasphemer is made up of two Greek words, blas and feme. Blas means stupid. Feme means speak. Blasphemy means to say stupid things about God, about other, other people. Blasphemy is stupid talk, stupid conversation. So I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. And that's the Greek word blapto. And here's the meaning of that word that he used. My words hurt people. 
I persecuted people. I persecuted Christians. I tried to grind them into the dust, those who disagreed with me. I persecuted them with my words. I damned them because they didn't believe what I believed and behaved the way I behaved. Boy, here, this was the most religious guy in the world. I mean, he kept all the law. He said I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he had Sunday school medals reaching all the way from his chest to his foot. I mean, he had all of the merit badges that were given out in the religion of his day. He had it all. He was a church-going, self-styled, self-righteous, judgmental church member. And he said, I was a blasphemer saying stupid things about other people. I was a persecutor. I put other people down. I said things that hurt them and cut them. I wanted to do away with them. And then, you can't, then he says, I was a violent man. And you put, all, put those other two words together and they don't even begin to equal this third word. I was a violent man. Hubris is the Greek word. It means arrogant. It means sadistic. It means I enjoy hurting other people. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing those stones crush the life out of Stephen. Because I'm religious. I'm right. They're wrong. And deserve to die. I'm a violent man. That's what he's saying about himself. He's throwing up some of that nine-tenths that's been beneath the surface of his life. He's putting it out there. He's putting all, if I can use the term, some of you will understand. I don't. I just heard it used every night. Put all the cards on the table. All the cards. He put it all out there. This is what I am. I'm a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Now listen to these next words, man. And it ought to run chills up and down your spine. I was shown mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Let that stick. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve, all of us. Grace is receiving what none of us do deserve. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. That's the word agnostic. The Greek word gnosis, ah, gnosis, agnosis, agnostic. I don't know. I didn't know about the grace of God. I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know that God was a God of love. I thought he was a God of law. And I found out he was a God of love. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace, listen to that. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He needed abundant grace. You're a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. You need a double dose of mercy and of grace. Don't we all? Don't we all? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Along with faith and love 
that are in Christ Jesus. They're not in us, and they're not in the church, and they're not in religion, and they're not in good works. They're in Christ, and he pours them out on us. That's what the symbol of baptism is. It's being covered, poured out, all these marvelous blessings of God poured out on us, submerged in them, immersed in them, surrounded by these incomparable gifts of God. And then he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I know Paul said that at least three times in his writings, maybe more. I need to investigate it a little further. I know he said that phrase three times. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul wasn't trying to impress us with his super spiritual humility. He's over that man. He's faced his, his blasphemy and his persecution and his hubris, his violence. Paul was right. He was saying, I'm the biggest sinner I know. I mean, I really know me. And I see somebody else and I see this person. I say that, see that person doing this and doing that and doing that. And that's wrong and it's wrong for them to be doing it. But listen, I'm the biggest sinner I know because I know me. I know secret thoughts I don't want anybody to know but God. I know me. And every honest Christian can echo the words of the Apostle Paul. I am the biggest sinner. I know experientially. I know. Not objectively, subjectively. Not externally, internally. I know. I know. I'm the biggest sinner I know, but I also know something else. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep all that junk which I have given unto him against that day. Against what day? The day of judgment when he'll say to me, I took your sins, come on in. I took your sins, come on in. I took your sins, come on in. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. There's that word again. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Mercy, love, grace means the word of witness. Whether you've been with the Gadarene on the beach or with David on the throne or Paul in church, we've all been saved by the grace of God and we've all been saved to tell other people to be a witness of what Christ has done in my life, what Christ is doing in my life, what Christ will do through my life to be a witness to others. That's why Paul is telling us all of this garbage about himself because he wants us to know that God's grace is sufficient for us. For everything in us and everything about us. 
And then Paul concludes this paragraph with this wonderful doxology. It just must have just exploded out of his mind as he thought of what God had done for him and what God was doing for him and how he'd been such a horrible blasphemer and persecutor and violent man and he cut people with his words and he cut people with his actions and he hurt so many folks himself and others all in the name of religion. He'd done all of that and finally came to see the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. And then he says this marvelous word, underline it, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And he'll take all of our stuff, wherever we've been, whether it's been in a tomb or on a throne or in a church, he'll take all of our stuff. Now to him, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor to him, not to me, not to you, not to us, but to him. Not to this church, but to him. Not to Baptist, but to him. Be glory and honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. It's his invitation time. Will you trust him? Maybe you'd like to come and kneel and rededicate your life and maybe pour out some of that stuff that's nine tenths under the surface and just kind of let God wash it all away. You may want to talk to me. That's fine. Or you don't have to talk to me. You want to, we will. But to talk to him, to trust him as your savior, to join his church. Maybe come on this first Sunday of a new year, on the eve of a new century, a new millennium, say, I want to be full of mercy and grace and faith and love and let it be renewed in your heart. We're singing an invitation hymn. I'll be here. If you want to come, just walk right past me to kneel and pray. You do that. It's God's invitation, not Buckner's. God's invitation. You come. Let's stand and sing.